Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Murder in the North. I'm Kelby. And I'm Zach. We hope you all had a wonderful Easter, ate some chocolate, and we hope that the Easter Bunny was good to each and every single one of you. This week, Zach is going to be presenting his case. To get into our sources for this week, the sources are Murderpedia, a YouTube video by Forensic Files, and ForensicFilesFiles.com. Our case starts off in the province of PEI, Prince Edward Island, during the year of 1994, on the 7th of October, when a woman would actually call in an abandoned car that was in a field that was nearby her house, and the license plates were missing on the car. What's with you in abandoned car stories? I know. As soon as I started looking into this, I was like, oh no, not again. (laughs) When the police arrived, they looked into the car to see what looked to be a crime scene, as there was blood on the inside of the windshield and the sides of the mirrors, like the side mirrors inside the car. When it was looked into, the blood splatter looked like it was from impact, but not like as if the car was hit, but it was more from like impact as if like someone was hit by something inside of the car. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So like there wasn't, from what I could see, there was no like visual damage to the car, but it was, it was just a car that was abandoned in the field. Without any license plates, the police had nothing to really see who this vehicle belonged to but they were actually able to find the serial number to the car once they ran it through a database they were actually able to see that it belonged to shirley duguay she was a stay-at-home mom with five kids in the town of richmond pei the oldest was 15 the youngest were eight-year-old twins during this time she wasn't home the kids were with her father because she had actually disappeared about four days before And there wasn't actually a police report. So I know what you're thinking. Why wasn't there a police report? Why weren't they notified? So she would actually be known for just going missing. And she would go just miss. Like she would just leave and be gone for days at a time. And then would just show up again. Oh? Yeah. So it's a little. It is a little weird. Is it? Like mental health or? Um, they never really got into details kind of throughout any of the research that I did. It's, they didn't really touch on it too much. Okay. So the police were actually believing that the blood inside of the car was hers because she would actually use a pillow to sit on when she was driving her car. And they actually did find a pillow that had blood on it. Just about, I think it was about a half a mile away from where the car was. Oh. Are they, like, did they scan blood? So, we haven't kind of got there yet, but, like, right now they're still kind of looking for everything, but we'll kind of get to that. So, from what I could kind of find, I think she actually used the pillow just because she was smaller. Uh, she was four foot nine and weighed under a hundred pounds. So, oh. she she was, she was petite. <laughs> so, it was just kind of used to prop her up while she was driving? I think so. <laughs> But at this point, the police still didn't know whose blood was in the car. So, as you kind of mentioned there before, they would try to test it. But they, at this point, they don't have anything to test it to. So, they would actually have to get in contact with Shirley's dad, Melvin, so they could actually get a blood sample from him. To get a little scientific, the way that the DNA actually works is you get 50% from your dad and 50% from your mom. So when they did the testing of the blood, 
it did match 50% of Melvin's. This almost giving them certainty that it was Shirley's blood. That's interesting. There's This is probably like the one case that we've done that actually gets very scientific at times. And I like I've oh, wanted, I've wanted me, to wanted to tell <laughs> I wanted to tell you so bad. It's nothing crazy. So while they were actually doing testing, because they have to test pretty much all of the blood, there was actually a little bit of blood that they were able that they found in the car, but it didn't match Shirley. So they're not sure if there's actually another victim or if it's possibly the killers. With the question of whose blood that is still unanswered, the RCMP would actually begin one of the largest searches in history for PEI to try and find Shirley. This would be them walking through forest, brush, and I even saw videos of them hanging off the side of boats just to like try to search through like shallow water. Wow. Just to find anything. And this is, I actually found this part very like interesting because the police would actually go all the way to use psychics and hypnosis to try and find her. Really? Yeah. And they actually had a couple that would actually say she is buried in a shallow grave by water. And the hardest part about that is PEI is is an an island. island. (laughs) So it is surrounded by water. And not only that, but there's also quite a bit of lakes, rivers, and ponds. So at this point, as bad as it sounds, it's almost like a needle in a haystack. Yeah, it's almost like, okay, thanks, but like where? (laughs) No, and that's it exactly. Like they have an idea, but it's hard to say for sure. As they're still kind of looking the area of where the car was found, they would actually find a shovel. The shovel would have two black hairs on it with further testing against, uh, I'm, I believe they got like hair from Shirley's house. They oh, were actually okay. able to determine that it was Shirley's hair that was on the shovel. Well, I mean, I had hope that she was going to be alive, but now I feel like we, with after the, what the psychic said, I don't think she's alive. So the search for more information would keep going on and they would actually get a big clue in the search they would find a plastic bag with a leather jacket and sneakers and with closer look at the jacket they would actually realize that there was blood on the jacket at this point they already had at least like a little profile of dna for shirley so they used that to go off of and were able to determine that it was a match to hers but the jacket was a man's jacket It was too big to be Shirley's. So now they have to figure out whose jacket it is. Probably the killer's, I would assume. And that's it. So they kind of have to kind of find who it is. So they would actually sit down with Shirley's dad, Melvin, and just say, who might want to hurt her? And his first thought was her ex-husband. His name is Doug Beamish. They had a relationship for 15 years, but they were off and on. And at this point, they they had been off for 18 months. During the time that they had been together, he was reported to actually have been physically abusive. The police brought brought Doug into questioning, but he denied any involvement into the disappearance, 
But one thing stuck with the investigators because they would actually go on to ask him, what size of shoe are you? And he would say a size nine. Can you guess why this stuck out? Because the shoes that they found in the bag were probably a size nine. They sure were. Oh, come on, Doug. <laughs> Seriously. But in his eye, like if he is the killer. You think he might change his shoe size or something? Well, if uh, he put it far enough away that he probably thought they wouldn't have found it. And if somebody found it, they hopefully would have thought it was just trash and threw it out. Yeah. And even if he said, oh, I'm a size 10, they would be like, prove it. Yeah. Let me see your shoe. <laughs> no, exactly. So this is when they actually do something. I was actually like, I didn't even like, I didn't even know this was possible. So because of this, it was the same size of shoe. They turned to a forensics podiatrist. You know what a podiatrist is? Yeah, it's like a foot doctor. Yeah. So, for some people who don't know, a podiatrist, yeah, is just a foot doctor. With a warrant for the police, they were actually able to get Doug to step into styrofoam, this creating a mold. Without him knowing? No, so they were, they got a warrant to do this. Oh, sorry. (laughs) So they, so he stepped into styrofoam to create a mold of his foot and they used something called plaster of Paris and they would pour it inside of the mold to create the full mold itself. Oh, that's so cool. And they had to wait for it to harden. After they did this, they were actually able to use the mold that they created against the sole of the shoe to see if the wear marks would match up. So you know how with like a shoe, when you wear a shoe, it creates wears in the sole of the shoe. Oh, yes. Okay. I was going to say, I was kind of confused because like they're different shoes, but I see what you mean. Using the shoes that they have Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. So using the mold that they now had in the shoes that they had found, they matched it up to see if they would be similar to the wears. Jeez. They're like, this is interesting because I feel like you said this was 1994, right? Yeah. This is like... Back in the day, almost, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Obviously, it's not super, super old by any means, but oh, it a, seems just like just wait. A lot of the stuff they're doing is like not in their time. So, the next thing that they would actually go on to do is so, what with people and how they walk, everyone has their own distinct walk. That could be your toes are pointed in, your toes are pointed out. When some people walk, their toes are lifted. I only found this out when I was doing the research for this case. <laughs> Did you practice? <laughs> <laughs> but so when when they actually looked into how he walked and how he stood, they were able to see that his feet were pronated, meaning that his toes turned in, heels turned out. Okay. And when he walked, his toes, it's called hyperfixated, I believe it is. Sorry, no, it's called hyperflexed. So that means that his toes, instead of being like rested on the soles, they're actually raised a little bit. So it rubs against the top of the shoes. Interesting. So with them finding this information out, they actually, with those shoes that they had, they would cut the shoes up to check the wares on the soles as well to see if it matched the pronated feet which it would and actually would also see that it had wares on the top of the shoes where the toes are because his toes raised up and would start to like almost chafe against the top of the shoe oh my gosh they went right in eh oh yeah 
So with them finding out that he had pronated feet and analyzing the shoe to see that the wears on the soles match pronated feet and the chafing on the top of the shoes were for hyperflexed toes, they were almost able to confirm with this that these shoes may not have belonged to Doug, but he had definitely worn them. Hmm. So they wasn't confirmed that he was the murderer, but like they said that he was definitely like a prime suspect. And this would make him like a pretty good suspect. Yeah. With them at least having a lot of the stuff with the shoes, he denied even having that coat being his. But with looking into this coat, they would actually see like they actually they would note it was 20 little white hairs. These hairs would go under a microscope, but it was determined they were not human. So they found white hairs in the jacket? Correct. Probably from an animal, I would assume. And so that's what it is. So it, they believe that it was from an animal, but they couldn't identify what type of animal that it was from. So the way that they kind of like, they said that with human hairs, human hairs actually have like a core mm-hmm. that ha- with it where... The animal hair does not. Right. So that's how they're able to kind of really identify that. This is until an investigator remembered a detail when they were interviewing Doug. They did the interview at his home and they remember seeing a pure white cat running across the floor named Snowball. Hmm. Well, there, there you go right there. Case closed. And this cat actually rubbed up against the deputy when he was at the house. And it was just one of those things that it's something that happens all the time. So they didn't even think about it. But the hairs that were on his pant leg did actually look very similar to the ones that were found in the jacket. So they took the hair and they tested it to see if it was the same as the other one in the jacket? Actually. So now they actually wanted to confirm that it was Snowball's hair. Because white hair, the hair could look the same. Mm-hmm. They wanted to get DNA of the cat. Ow. So they would actually, so this is when act- the deputy actually made over hundreds of calls to see if they can get tested done on the testing done on it. They would find out it's never been done before. DNA on a cat? Mm-hmm. Really? At this time, they had never tested DNA. At least for something like this. Yeah. Huh. This is until they would get in contact with Dr. Stephen O'Brien. He is a geneticist at the National Cancer Institute in the United States. And one of his main studies is hereditary illnesses in cats. Wow. The only thing that Dr. Stephen O'Brien would need was a blood sample from the cat. They had the hairs. They just needed the blood sample now. So the deputies would have to go over to Doug's house to now try and catch the cat. Poor Snowball. (laughs) Seriously. It took over 30 minutes for them to catch Snowball to to get the cat into a crate to take it down to one of the local vets so they can get the blood done. As soon as the blood was drawn, it was handed off to two RCMP officers who hand delivered it to Dr. O'Brien and his team. When it got down there... With the hairs, they actually noted that it one of the hairs still had like a root on it. So the okay. root of the hair still has like DNA on it. Right. 
So they are able to use a solution to break down everything on the on the hair except for the DNA. And now using the uh, blood that they had, they had a profile for a snowball that they were able to use to match to confirm that oh the hair God. belonged to Snowball. Jeez. Right. Doug, you're you're not you're not <laughs> very not good, looking, man. It's not looking good. You're not doing a good job, dude. So now the biggest thing that the investigators are starting to question is PI is an island. Being isolated, there is possible inbreeding. So now they have to test to see if it's possible that another cat has the same DNA profile. Oh, so they, to be sure that it was Snowball and not someone else's? Yeah, so they want to make sure that if there was inbreeding, if there was enough inbreeding, it could be so close with the DNA profiles that it could have definitely been another white cat. I would have never thought about that. Yeah, me neither at the time. So this is when a different research would begin. And they would take blood from 20 different cats from PEI. Oh my god. To send it down to the to Dr. O'Brien and his team. After they did the testing on the cats, they were able to determine the likelihood that it was a different cat was 1 in 70 million. Wow. Jeez. This, this means you are more likely to get struck by lightning than have it be a different cat's hair. Oh my gosh. But honestly, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath because it could definitely be a different cat. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to say, yeah, it's actually not Snowball. So at this point, this is exactly what the RCMP needed. With this information, they were able to actually go ahead to charge Doug. But then they would actually get one more thing that would help them a lot more than this. A fisherman would be walking around a river when he just saw a brush that looked to be out of place. So he would go ahead to move the brush to find a shallow grave. They located a very small body. And at the time, because she was under five foot and under a hundred pounds, they were almost certain that it was her. Where Shirley's body was found was nearly identical to the place that the psychics had predicted. Really? Yep. Huh. They said from what they were saying, it was under brush and branches near water. Almost but spot said, on. Like, that's hard to distinguish considering it's an island. It is, but like they probably they could have had more details that just weren't shared. Right. For me, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, they were able to get more answers on what happened to her. And around this time, it was actually May when they had found her. The ground was just starting to thaw out. So none of the body decomp decomposition has begun to happen because the ground was frozen. Oh, okay. So it was like perfect timing that they had found her because if it kept if her body kept staying in the ground, then it would have started to break down where because it was frozen, it didn't. So they were able to actually do an autopsy on her to confirm that it was her and that the death cause of death was blunt force trauma. Jeez. Which we were able to see by the blood that was in the car. This confirmed the charges for murder. Scientists actually believe that the blood that was found otherwise was actually a mixture of both of their blood together. 
Oh. So remember how earlier in the episode I said that there was blood that they couldn't, they didn't know? Yes. Apparently, they think that it was both of theirs, so I'm not sure how oh, that happened. Okay. So police had believed that Doug had killed her because he just wanted custody of the kids. So apparently he had actually sent her a letter written in blood that said he would kill her before she got sole custody of the kids. Oh my god. Police would later find a picture of Doug in a leather jacket, almost identical to the one that was found, and it was taken one day before her disappearance. Jeez Louise. I wonder how this guy feels by having his cat sell him out. Yeah, poor Snowball. And now, because of those hairs, that was really the biggest thing that landed him in jail. It's crazy how, like, advanced they were back then. Right, yeah. It seems like they, like the team did a really great job at trying to find all the evidence. Exactly. And, like, was, worked hard on this case. This was, like... Just because of how interesting this case was, I really enjoyed researching this one because, yeah, it seems like they went to great lengths to do yeah. everything they could. By getting to researchers and everything like that. Exactly. It's like almost, I don't want to say unheard of, but like I would, I would definitely say not common. At least in this point with this case, this was essentially unheard of. Mm -hmm. So this was actually the first case in the world that used animal DNA to con to put somebody into jail. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <gasps> Snowball. So Doug would actually end up being convicted. He would sent be sentenced to 18 years in prison. He appealed in 1998 and 1999, and they were both denied. He then requested for parole in 2013, which was also denied. I wasn't able to confirm, but from the information I was able to find, it looks like he's still in jail. Okay. Shirley was only 32 years old when Doug took her life, but we want to remember her for the fact that she was a mother taking care of five kids that she had had and trying to do what she could to kind of get by with them. I believe that her father has actually since taken over custody of the kids since her passing. And he is, he looked to be an older gentleman. So I do want to respect the fact that he had done that and yeah. did start to take over the kids and raise them afterwards. And like also how hard that would be for him losing his daughter, right? And then having to raise her, her kids afterwards, I could only imagine how hard that would be. So to kind of cover a little bit, because this was actually such a big break in science, Dr. O'Brien afterwards was actually receiving about a phone call every two weeks to try and help with similar cases to this one. Really? That's how big this actually became. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And not only that, Britain and the US actually now keep a database for dogs and cats DNA. That's wild. Right? You never think like something like that would be of importance until like you need it right and you're like wow yeah. okay this is actually super important this could literally help us find who this this murderer is seriously that's this is kind of like why i love doing the podcast because we're like we stumble upon like some of these cases just by like looking up cases and like we find something that like we don't realize like how big it is yeah and like you were saying this this was such a big case in pei and like i've never heard of this yeah me neither 
not until I was doing the research on this and like seeing then like that fact that they're looking into the wearing of the souls. Like I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I didn't even, I would have never thought about that. And then even looking into the fact just to prove that it was his cat, like just him petting his cat before leaving got him arrested. At the end of this, we do want to remember Shirley Duguay for the person that she was and also the mother that she was. But this has come to the end of our episode. You can follow our Instagram and our TikTok at Murder in the North Podcast, and we will be back on Tuesday. Stay safe.